in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, well, hello and welcome everybody, if uh, you've been waiting on us for the last month and wondering what the hell is going on, well, uh, myself, Phil, and Jonah are here to tell you as, uh, for a number of reasons and uh, nothing to do with animosity or anything like that this will be the final edition of the dispensary music podcast and uh before i start going on uh, some of the stuff that's been going on with me here on this uh beautiful late spring day which is probably the hottest day of 2018 so far i throw to my man jonah who i know has had a ton of stuff going on lately so uh what's up with you good man well um between the band having certain things we've been needing to do and planning for the future uh, and between, you know, different um, shows I've been going to see and looking for work, it's slowly but surely piling up. For sure. Uh, any other big announcements involving Numb Tongues you'd like to use on this platform? Uh, June 15th, we will... We'll be playing the Cavern Bar, and we are planning to record a single or two within the next three months. Well, that's tremendous, and I'm glad to hear. Um, before we get into some of the stuff that's going on with me, Jonah, you have a very unique and funny story to tell. As uh, a couple of weeks ago, I'm just you know randomly scrolling through my timeline on Facebook, and uh, I see a picture of Buzz Osborne of the Melvins on my timeline. I'm like, oh, cool, there's Buzz Osborne. And then I look at the picture, and who's standing to the left of him but none other than Jonah Grinberg. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, that was really interesting. So what happened was, um, okay, I'll try to summarize it as best as I can. So Billy Talent, you know Billy Talent. Yeah, obviously. Okay, so they posted on their Facebook um, to um, the first 25 people who comment on this post we have just made will get to come see us at George Strombolopoulos' house for free. Oh. So I commented within like 10 minutes of them making that post. Yeah. And I got to see Billy Talent for free at George Strombolopoulos' house behind the band as they were playing. That's unreal. (laughs) And so what happened was I was talking to George and he had been mentioning that the Melvins were coming that Tuesday. So we asked him, hey, is it cool if we come see the Melvins? And he's like, fuck yeah. So (laughs) we got on the list to come see the Melvins and that is how we got to see them. And then... Uh, as Buzz was leaving the house, um, we tried our best to see if we could take a photo with him away from everyone else, and we did. And how did that go? Because from what I've you know heard through the grapevine, he can be kind of hit or miss to deal with. Yeah, he was actually pretty nice. Good. Good to hear. And um, I've only heard a little bit of the Melvins uh, library so far, but I give credit to a band who's been going at it for, you know, over three decades now, completely against the grain, and have found their own niche and found a way to push through. Oh, yeah. It was one of the most intense concerts I've seen. I mean, considering that they had, like, two bass players, and they were um, just going 
going ham like song after song after song. It was it was like a true punk show in in that regard. Oh, that's that's amazing to hear. And uh, from one grunge forefather, I guess, to another. Um, over this last uh, few weeks, Jonah, I finally took a piece of advice that you have long been uh, recommending me to do, and I finally downloaded and listened to the Billy Corgan interview on the Joe Rogan podcast. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. And you're right, that thing absolutely delivers. Um, Billy's commentary on the music industry is uh, very on point, and uh, I don't really disagree with any of it, but in the grand scheme of things, what a friggin' life this guy has lived, wouldn't you say? Oh, hell yeah, no kidding. I mean, one thing I did too was like, uh, I don't really have the spare time or enough interest to listen uh, to Rogan from episode to episode. I mean, I think he's a damn good host and he does a really good thing with the show and the people he books and all that, but I only pick and chose a few interviews from his program. Um, And alongside Billy Corgan, I also checked out uh, very long extended interviews with uh, the likes of Henry Rollins, Maynard James Keenan, uh, James Hetfield, who like almost never does any press unless Metallica has something to promote. And, uh, and uh, Jim Brewer were all ones I listened to. And here's what I love about Rogan's show so much. And kind of, this is a, a more of a broader commentary on podcasting in and of itself. He's able, through his connections and through the quality of work, is able to get guests that a lot of other podcasts wouldn't be able to get and therefore has a lot of subscribers and downloads because of it, okay? And one thing I noticed that he does really well is um, he'll bring people on and he'll totally just let them be themselves and the promotion aspect of, you know, doing press is almost secondary. Like, uh, James Heffield was on, um, this is from 2016, I think before Hardwired was about to come out and it was either just before or just after, but like they hardly talked about the album and that entire interview was hardly even about music. And I saw a totally different side to people like James or people like Maynard that you just wouldn't get in other forums or interviews. Oh yeah, for sure. Joe Rogan's king at that because he's trying to be as real as he could possibly be. Absolutely. And, uh, at the end of the day, no matter what production techniques you have, no matter how you sell yourself, if what you bring to the table is real and organic and you provide content that people want to hear, they, uh, they will stick around and they will support you. Oh, absolutely. And, um, the Henry Rollins episode was, unreal because I mean it was like listening to one of Rollins's spoken word shows and he wasn't trying to ramble or cut Rogan off or anything but he would just talk and talk and talk and you'd be hanging on every word and the man wouldn't need to take a breath and <laughs> just really amazing inspirational stuff overall so I just thought I'd throw that out there and if anybody wants to check out those interviews you know check out Rogan's podcast as, as well um, one thing I'm going to miss from doing this, Jonah, is uh, doing interviews. Like we aired the interview with Alyssa and Jazlene. 
uh, near the end of March, and uh, it's too bad we couldn't have gotten more guests, but that's just how it unfolded. But um, just to reiterate what I just said, I love the fact of getting people comfortable with you to the point where they'll talk about things they don't normally talk about, and I don't mean like digging for stuff, you know? Yeah, totally. And uh, with that being said... um, some stuff I have going on the next little while, which is going to prevent me from doing this in a way, is um, I'm slowly trying to uh, transition my career into video production and editing. In exactly what capacity, I'm not too sure, but uh, what turned into baby steps about you know a month ago has all of a sudden accelerated big time, and... I could be up to some really cool things this summer that also may be involving YouTube. Okay. Oh, damn. Yeah, so I don't want to get in too much detail right now as a lot of this stuff is still in the idea pre-planning stage and is very incomplete. But um, I will say a couple of things right now. As Outside of my main job, I am uh, working as a DJ for a company out of Hamilton, Ontario. And they also offer videography services, which I'm looking to transition into at the right time. So that's keeping me very busy. And not too long ago, um, I made an agreement with a former guest on this podcast, uh, Nikki Martin, promoter of Magnificent Championship Wrestling out of Brantford, Ontario, I'm going to be doing some uh, video shooting and editing for his promotion as well. And some of that may be involving work with uh, YouTube and uploading and promoting videos as well. And just this past weekend, um, I made a connection that could lead me to uh, possibly shooting and producing something that could even end up being almost full-time. So. Lots going on, and, uh, you know, I don't want to be a tease, but when the stuff's ready to go and it's more concrete, I will throw more out there. And yourself, Jonah, the people who, you know, subscribe and who are friends with us online or in person, they'll uh, they'll get the gist of it when the time is right. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to uh, see what it, it'll eventually unfold into. Yeah, man, and uh, same thing. I can't wait to hear what's going to happen with you and Numtongues and you know, your search for uh, more, you know, permanent concrete work and stuff like that. So, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll hear it when the time is right, for sure. Absolutely. So, we're not recording a super long episode today, obviously. Um, I want to at least try and get out and enjoy some of this nice weather before I got to run to work for the evening. Um, but uh, I just wanted to talk about a couple of things, Jonah, and... Uh, you could come and chime in at any time um, because I feel this is a great way to end the podcast and it kind of sums up what we were trying to do in terms of entertaining and informing people about the ups and downs in music and how it really can quite literally change your life. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to talk about an experience I had over 20 years ago now, and I'm going to talk about, uh, in case you and the listeners have forgotten about this, our last episode during our homework segment, I picked a Tom Waits album. 
right. uh, Rain Dogs, and I listened to it, and it was very entertaining and eclectic. And I said that um, Tom Waits had a huge effect on someone close to me, and if I got permission from this person, I'd be able to tell the story. And uh, since then, uh, this individual has given me the green light to talk about anything I want involving this story, so I'm going to get to that too. So before I start, though, Jonah, I mean, you're still a lot younger than me, but I know you've probably had one or more than one of those moments where you latched on to a band or a piece of music and then your life was never the same again. Pretty much. Yeah. So is there any one isolated situation uh, you'd like to talk about or are there too many to mention for you? I mean, there's definitely too many to mention for me. Okay. But off the top of my head, um, yeah. the first big and that will really come to mind would probably be the Chili Peppers in that case because life was never the same after I had discovered their music. Okay. If you don't mind delving a little bit deeper, what was kind of going sure. on? Yeah, what was kind of going on with you before you discovered the Chili Peppers and then slowly what happened after? Okay. So, I was in 11th grade. Yep. Um 11th grade, I had, I was in this one band that wasn't really doing anything. Yep. Um, and then um, I started reading Anthony's book, Scar Tissue, and I started listening to their music. And I realized uh, what they were doing. They were four people firing on creatively on all cylinders, you know, vocals, guitar, bass, and drums, creating such a funky kind of music, the likes of which I hadn't heard in that way before, and Anthony Kiedis in particular at the time for me was setting the benchmark for the type of melodic and lyrical style I would try to emulate later on. Um, so after the, all that had been happening, um, I had started, um, I had soon left the band that I was in that was doing nothing, and the genesis of Numb Tongues slowly but surely took form. Right on, and uh, personally, did you feel that you were much more kind of on point and on purpose after this was revealed to you? Hell yeah. Yeah, that's great to hear. Um, I'll share mine now. It's uh, somewhat of a similar journey to yours. Is um, So... I went to public school in an area that was kind of rural and way out of the town I grew up in. And there was about 260 students there. And then when I got to the ninth grade, I went to the high school in town, which had over 2,500. So you, you can imagine this was a bit of a shell shock for me. And... All the people at the time who I thought, you know, were close friends of mine, I found out really had all these other friends in town. And then all of a sudden, I was pretty much an afterthought <laughs> for. Yeah, yeah, like for the better part of a year. And we, we always keep talking about this book on the podcast, but D. Snyder shut up and give me the mic. One part that resonated with me a lot was when he said in high school, he didn't fit in with like any clique or group. And for about a year, that's kind of where I was. And, you know, 
It was uh, a rough, yeah, it was a rough experience. However, after the ninth grade, I uh, pretty much discovered uh, metal, and it was through the radio station ninety-seven-seven Hits FM at a St. Catharines who had a metal show from every Friday night, late two hours, but it opened my eyes to a lot of things. That summer, like I had gotten into grunge. Uh, just as it was kind of about to die, <laughs> so to speak. And the rock stations, a lot of them I was listening to at the time, started playing a lot of like lighter poppy stuff, and they were playing a lot of the electronic bands like Prodigy and Chemical Brothers and all that, and there was this buzz for a little while saying that electronic music was going to kill rock and all this. And anyway, I just got fed up with the whole thing. And when I found the late night metal show, I was like, Whoa, this is cool. This is kind of what is speaking to me right now. Yeah, totally. But I wasn't like ready to go in all the way, you know? And, uh, there's a band who I had heard of through a fellow friend by the name of Pantera. I didn't know much about them. And uh, summer of 1997, they released a live album called Official Live 101 Proof. And for my money, regardless if you like their music or not, it is one of the best produced and energetic live rock albums you'll ever hear. It's it's pretty amazing. <laughs> and they played three songs off that album, and then I was like, okay, this I got to discover some Pantera now this this just blew my mind you know (laughs) I understand yeah I understand what my buddy was all hyped up about at the time and stuff so um do you remember this I might be dating myself here but back then in like the late 90s record stores used to have listening stations where they take like five new releases and then they put them in like uh, a multi-disc cd changer and you could go and put headphones on and listen to tracks from these new albums, like, almost as long as you wanted to. Yeah. And, like, until, like, a staff member kicked you out of the store or whatever. And back when they had those things, uh, Pantera's live album was doing very well. And it was in there, and I listened to some of it. And the one album of theirs I hadn't heard yet was uh, their second major album, Vulgar Display of Power, from 1992. And I listened to a couple of the songs off the live album, and I'm like, oh, these are really good. I'm going to have to check that album out sometime. It's one that just, at this point in time, had not appeared on my radar. And um, so fast forward a couple of months in the fall, my mother uh, went uh, to a mall, which was a good like half hour, 40 minutes from where we grew up, because it had more than what we had in our town. And she asked me if she wanted to look for anything for me. And I was like, well, there's this Pantera album I got my eye on. If you see it, can you maybe pick it up? (laughs) Anyway, she phones me while I'm at home later in the afternoon, you know, to tell me about some things about her trip. And then she's like, and by the way, I am not buying that Pantera CD. She says, one of of the, one of the one of the tracks has the word fucking in the title. <laughs> and I didn't realize it's so later on, but Dime on the back in the band photo is wearing a hat with a pot leaf on it, you know, which I'm sure she did not approve of. Uh, anyway, I must have uh, complained and put up quite a stink because I did end up twisting her arm into buying it for me. <laughs> and 
That evening, I put it in the stereo, put my headphones on, and I had an epiphany, Jonah, not even at the end of the album. I had an epiphany about four songs into the album, okay? (laughs) I really wanted to hear track five, This Love, which has some clean singing and some mellow parts, which was quite different for them, but was featured on the live album. But tracks one through four... Um, Mouth for War, A New Level, Walk, which oddly enough became a big hit after Dime passed away, and the aforementioned Fucking Hostile. Those four songs, Jonah, I can say all lined up in a row, (laughs) and that unfolded the way they did change my life forever. Um, not, Not only was the Terry Gate production so tight loud and in your face the rhythm section crushing dimes guitars you know with the riffs and the leads but phil yeah. anselmo his lyrics and his singing just had such an attitude to it and i felt like through those four songs <laughs> in a lot of ways he was speaking to me and the shit going on in my life and was kind of the drill sergeant saying you need to step up bro this is your time. Fuck what everybody else says. And despite some, uh, you know, peaks and valleys, that's kind of what I have stuck to ever since, like, these 21 years later. Damn, man. So, I mean, it just goes to show that with you and me both, for similar or different reasons, when you find music that takes you so deep down the rabbit hole that you never fully make it out... <laughs> and it becomes a part of you, I think that, in a sense, is one of the true powers of music. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, and Vulgar, to me, is still in my <clears throat> one of my top five to ten favorite albums of all time. I'll only listen to it, like, a couple of times a year, but when I do, like, it's to me, it's just as good as the 20 years ago when I first heard it. Aww. <laughs> And uh, if you're getting tired of all the sentimentality right now, um, I have to warn you, i got to pour on a lot more <laughs> right now. Yeah, because we got to talk about Tom Waits. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I could go on this one for quite a long time, but I'm going to try and keep it somewhat short, as uh, we should really just keep this final episode around the 30-minute mark or so. But um, So long story short, After I got into, you know, Pantera, Metallica, and the metal train, I met a guy uh, about three or four months later after I listened to Vulgar at my high school, and we connected because we were wearing Metallica t-shirts, okay? And this this dude was just totally off the wall, but in a matter of months, he became my best friend, and we were kind of like the social outcasts in our own way, and we just didn't care, though, <laughs> to a big degree. And um, about 10 years later, I'll fast forward to it, um, our lives got, you know, we grew up, our lives got pretty serious, and uh, we started families of our own, and we ended up going in different directions. And I won't dwell on this too much, but uh, it was right around close to 10 years ago, he went on a path that uh, just made me very uncomfortable. And it eventually, you know, led to a falling out um, 
maybe it shouldn't have, but that's just what happened. And we tried to patch things up a couple of times after, and uh, I'll just say life was taking us in different directions, and uh, it just wasn't going to work without forcing it. So then we went our separate ways for quite a few years, and uh, late last year, through the power of social media, as much as we love to dong on social media, (laughs) there are some positives that go along with it, okay? Yeah. we reconnected after um, he had made numerous attempts to get a hold of me. I finally decided, all right, I'm ready. Let's let's see how this goes. And, you know, we reconnected on social media. We uh, got in contact with each other. I said to him, hey, where you're living now, um, I'm going to be up there uh, right around uh, the long weekend in February, so uh, I'll stop in for a visit and all this. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that would be great and all this. And uh, I wanted to go through with it. I felt like it was important to see what was happening, but I was kind of worried, you know, some of the mud of the past might get kicked up or nothing had really changed and it was going to be a waste of time. But I thought, I got I got to see. I got to see what's going on, you know. Right. We had too many times together just to drift away the way that we did and, you know, um, long story short, he uh, he's remarried with, I guess I would say, even though they never dated fully, like his high school sweetheart, and it was a girl who used to hang out with us, and I saw her for the first time literally in like, you know, 15 to 20 years uh-huh. at this visit, and I sat with him, and we chatted, and we had beers, and... I went through some craziness of my own uh, the last, you know, few years, and I'm finally getting out of it now, but uh, we were just trading war stories and getting caught up with each other, and um, when he starts telling me some of the stuff that was going on with him, he told me a story that absolutely blew my mind, and it involves Tom Waits. (laughs) So, the kind of brief version of this goes is that um, he... uh, I think was living in his mother's basement at the time he, you know, his ex and his kids, he wasn't seeing them. Just nothing was going right for him, right? Or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, his dad, I think, lives in downtown Toronto and he was going to go visit him for the weekend. And uh, my friend made a conscious decision that uh, after that weekend visit ended, he was going to kill himself. Um He had nothing left. He said, you know what, this is the end. Um, I've had enough, and that's it. And uh, when he was driving out of Toronto, I can't remember who put this on, but it was either him or his dad put on a Tom Waits CD. And when he was having these, these dark thoughts, he started listening to the music. And then he just got into it. And then he got to the point where he's like, who the fuck is singing right now. And his dad tells him, well, this is Tom Waits. And then from that moment on, he was just like, this music speaks to me. This is incredible. He's like, I have to do everything I can to find out about Tom Waits, who he is, what his music is. He had forgotten that he was an actor and that he had appeared in movies. Like, just made no connection, but when he heard the music... Something changed in him, and then all of a sudden, he decided he was going to 
learn about Tom Waits, okay? And the moral of that story is, is that because he got curious about something, he, he prevented himself from taking his own life. And, oh my God. And it happened to be the music of Tom Waits. And from there, from that moment on, it's like everything bad that had been going on in his life snowballed in reverse to where he is now. And basically, he discovers Tom Waits, he builds up a collection of his music, and then his father, who uh, had gone down a very rough path in the past, had been uh, born again quite a few years ago and was a part of a ministry he invites my friend out to uh, uh, a retreat called uh, Men With God. And from there, he goes from Tom Waits to there, gets, seems to get out of him whatever's bugging him. And then not too long after that, he reconnects with the woman he is now married to and has a child with. And then, like, it's been nothing but good fortune for him ever since. And wow. <laughs> it all started because he got curious about Tom Waits in a very dark time. Aw, that's so beautiful. It is. I mean, and it's kind of overwhelming, especially when you're like me and you have a personal stake in that story. <laughs> like, Yeah, um, man. No kidding, man. But I just want to say, too, when I listened to Tom Waits' Rain Dogs album, it was the first album of his I heard, and I totally understood the best that I could why this music had the effect on my friend that it did. Because, I mean, this Tom Waits album and some of his other singles I've heard, it goes from being rock to folk to country, to jazz, to, like, a Bob Dylan on fucked up on whiskey type of sound. Like, it just, it goes all over the place. And Tom Waits just has the most, like, drunken-sounding, tortured vocals of any, like, blues band that has ever existed. And I totally understand why someone in a deep, dark state like that would connect with his music and have it lead to, like, a dramatic turnaround. So... Yeah, no kidding. That's that's always the greatest stories to hear, though, man. It is, and I guess for just one parting message I have before we sign off for good is that, you know, if you're ever in a rough place and you can't seem to get out of it, try to find something that makes you curious, because I think when you're curious you become interested and when you become interested you're engaged and then that's when you start to feel alive and uh, by the way if things are really bad professional help isn't a bad option either Fair. so with that being said I know that was some pretty heavy stuff but I felt it was important to uh, completely necessary man yeah yeah especially with you know stuff going on all around us today the world needs a little bit more light like that, and we're so glad that we can connect it with music. So, do you have any parting words or statements, Jonas? I, I think that's about the end of me today. <laughs> um, well, well, I'll just say this. Um, a year ago, uh, me and Phil had the idea of starting this podcast. Yep. 
And uh, at that point, my band really was going through a, a low point. Uh, we had just recently departed with a guitar player. Um, we were trying to figure out how we were going to finish up these recordings and how we were going to release them and how we were going to find more shows and all the type of stuff that, that bands uh, have to figure out nowadays. Um a podcast like this, what it allowed me to do was uh, vent any certain frustrations that I would normally not be able to get the chance to turn to know about music. And what it allowed me to do was um, was be able to further allow me to figure out how I'm able to truly formulate my opinions in a way that I can clearly state uh, what I'm trying to say. Um, and that always um, allows for light at the end of the tunnel, at least I'd like to think. Absolutely. And might I add just real quick that um, I'm not sure if you remember at this point, but the genesis of the idea of putting this podcast together was completely organic. Um, we had some uh, classes together at the Harris Institute that started – uh, the minute the, the building opened at 10 o'clock in the morning and, uh, I would get off the subway and I'd walk up Queen street and Jonah would, uh, be walking, you know, further down the block behind me and he'd have a habit of running up and scaring the living shit out of me <laughs> while, <laughs> while I had my headphones on and was oblivious to, you know, everything around me. And some days we would you know, we'd chat on the rest of our walk and then we'd go into the school and go to class. But some days, uh, the person with the keys wasn't always there on time. So, or a class would get canceled on our way to school. Then we'd be like, oh, we have like two hours to kill. And we came up with this idea because because we had a, a delay or a canceled class and we couldn't get into the building. So we went across the road to Tim Hortons and had breakfast and we just started talking, and then I threw the idea out. Hey, man, do you want to do this when you're done school? And you smack the table, and you're like, done, let's do it. That's yeah, so true. So, I mean... Yeah, because I think we were both at a point where it's like, you know, I was dealing with the production program, and oh, all yeah. of that was chalked up to deal with. And you were dealing with the management, and we both sort of knew that, like, we were the only two that, like, none of us had anything we needed to hide against each other because we were both, we both had different agendas at the end of the day, but we both knew like, Hey, I know a lot about this because I'm in this program. And yep. I know a lot about this we'll natural conversation. Yeah. And also at this point in time, shit was just starting to get to us. And I think we just needed to unload on each other for, you know, at least once a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was all good. And uh, I just want to say one more quick thing before we wrap. Um, not to make this all about me, but I think I might. This, once again, just kind of proves the power, the willpower to overcome. Is that uh, when I started this podcast, Jonah, health-wise, like, uh, I was pretty fucked up, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, that one year at Harris, um, with the long commute I had... A uh, little sleep, living on like, you know, pizza and lattes and not exercising. Oh, yeah. For the first, and I will say hopefully only time in my life, I almost reached the 300 pound mark last fall. 
What? Yeah, I'm not joking. Whoa. Yeah, I couldn't believe it myself. And through that, um, I did the last third of the Harris Institute with a severe case of sleep apnea, which um, even though it's gotten a lot better, I've been battling, you know, fighting through it ever since. Um, not too long before we started the podcast, I went to the sleep clinic and then uh, before they prescribed me with the, the breathing machine I have now, I was waking up 150 times an hour throughout the night. Oh, man. Like, I don't know, Jonah, how I survived it all, to be honest. And this was definitely going on in the later half of, of school. And I was just too busy to treat it. But then last summer it got really bad. And then I had to go do something about it in the fall. But anyway, through that too, um, I started having respiratory issues. My blood pressure went through the roof. Um, you know, I was on meds for a while. I was on an inhaler. But, I had no idea about any of this. Yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't something I was comfortable sharing, really, because I was really, like, upset and beating up myself about the whole thing. And uh, But anyway, here, here we are now, the present day, through uh, the job I have now and some working out and some dietary choices. Um, I'm off the inhaler. I'm off the blood pressure meds. I'm up maybe 8 to 12 times a night uh, or an hour with the sleep now instead of 150 and I've lost 55 pounds in counting. Oh my God, Phil, that's amazing. So I can finally function now. And all this was, it was a combination of things I won't get into here, but it just shows that if you get stuck in the muck, there, there's always a way out if you're willing to put on the work. Amen to that. All right. So on that note, Jonah, it's been an honor, and I, you know, we're going to go our separate ways for a while, but with the projects we're working on, I wouldn't be surprised if we, you know, cross-pollinate again and do something similar in the future. Absolutely, man. No, no question. It's, uh, it, it, was, it was great to be able to make a, a friend, a certainly out-of-the-blue friend who, you know, you certainly don't expect to make at a school like Harris. Um, especially like in the way that it organically came about. It's, uh, it's always nice when shit like that happens. So, um, kudos to you, my friend. Thank you. You too, my friend. And, uh, I wanted to say too, that even though there's the age gap between us, I don't think it really matters. We learn a lot from each other. So <laughs> much appreciated. Yeah. I, I appreciate that, man. For sure. Well, we finally cleared out the last of the, uh, liquidation closing sale. And with that being said, the dispensary is now permanently closed. 